Hello and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 169. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing the final two episodes of the original series' second season, Bread and Circuses and Assignment Earth. Bread and Circuses, Season 2, Episode 25, Production Code 043, Original Air Date March 15, 1968, Directed by Ralph Sinensky, Story by John Newbel, Written by Gene Roddenberry and Gene L. Kuhn, Music composed by Alexander Courage. Guest cast include William Smithers as Captain R. M. Merrick, Logan Ramsey as Proconsul Claudius Marcus, Ian Wolfe as Septimus, Rhodes Reason as Flavius, Lois Jewell as Drusilla, Bart LaRue as Announcer, Jack Perkins as Master of Games, Max Clevin as Maximus, and William Bramley as Policeman. The Enterprise is on routine patrol when it finds wreckage of the SS Bagel. The Bagel, under the command of Captain R.M. Merrick, whom Captain Kirk knew during his Academy days. Spock traces the path of the debris back to a planet in a previously unexplored system. Lieutenant Uhura picks up a 20th century style television broadcast with black and white footage of what appears to be a Roman gladiatorial fight in an arena. The barbarian gladiator they see killed is named William B. Harrison, identified by ship's records as one of the Bagel's flight crew. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam down to the planet to investigate. What happened to your vessel? You've explained. What happened to your oath is obvious. And as for my men... Those that were able to adapt to this world are still alive. Those who couldn't adapt are dead. That's the way it is with life everywhere, isn't it? You sent your own men into the arena. Steve, kick us off on bread and circuses. Yeah, so we got one of these um, similar parallel Earth things, gladiator slash... um, Seen a lot of these kind of elements before, crazy commanding officer kind of uh, episode here. Um, I certainly remember this, and um, there's obviously familiar elements going on here. Yeah, I don't, you know, I, I it's one of these that um, it kind of just, it kind of just, I, I, to me it's not, while I remember the episode, it doesn't, it doesn't really stick out. It's just kind of, it seems to be putting together a whole lot of elements that we've seen in so many other uh, episodes. Um and then it kind of has this kind of bizarre um, overtone with the uh, religious thing, especially toward the end, which is unusual too. And those—that's that's the I remember that specifically, the whole son of God business at the end, and so on. Um, but overall, I mean, uh, f- fairly forgettable um, from you know, in my opinion, kind of getting toward the end of the season. Towards, sort of episode so it's funny if if this episode had been like uh fourth or fifth in the first season i think we would have a pretty different opinion of it yeah you know uh if it had set this standard instead of uh feeling like a bunch of episodes we'd seen before but uh, yeah i agree that that is what it feels like and so it ends up feeling a little uh been there done that not you know there's nothing bad in it but We've seen all of these elements before, right down to the Starfleet captain that kind of went bad, sort of, with the natives and breaking the Prime Directive. Uh, Adam, some of your first thoughts here? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way that you and Steve do. Um, you know, it's it's 
incredibly similar to at least two other episodes that we've seen in the second season. Um, I'm kind of thinking if you saw this episode just kind of randomly, you'd probably like it more. But you know what we're doing, you know what we're doing here with this podcast is we're watching all these episodes, you know, pretty close together. So yeah, I feel like we've we've actually seen this episode twice at least already. Um, and I had a question. I'm like, I'm curious why they went back to these Earth parallels so much. Do you think that's just so the audience could relate to it better? Or why? I don't know quite understand why their reasoning was to go, you know, because like in the first season we had an identical Earth and, you know, we've had like a lot of really Earth parallels that are similar to Earth, you know, here in the Roman I Earth. hate to be cynical, but there are a lot of budgetary reasons where it's, you can do the, the, the Nazi episode and take the Nazi uniforms out of the, the studio closet that are just sitting there. This episode, their reason all the Roman outfits and stuff that were used a decade or were made and used for other movies and things a decade earlier that are just sitting there. Can you just be a little bit more creative in your writing? Does it have to be Rome and, you know, exactly like what it was on Earth? I mean, could, I mean, my feeling is, is like, is this, is, is this so it could relate to audiences? So pe- audiences wouldn't be questioning like what they were trying to do. Cause you know, you can relate to the Roman empire or the Nazis or that kind of thing. It also is a convenient explanation for why everybody looks human and speaks English, and yeah. which is also, you know, a lot cheaper. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I never got the sense that it was to make it more relatable, but... I mean, that was just a question I asked because it seems like they've gone back to this well quite a bit. Um, I... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's kind of weird. I was thinking if I would, you know, I'm kind of like you, Brian. Would I like this episode more if I hadn't, you know, if I just caught it randomly one night when I hadn't seen a bunch of Star Trek episode, original season episodes back to back to back? Um, I might like it more. I don't know. But because it feels like several other episodes that we've seen, it kind of loses, it diminishes it. I mean, there's things in this episode that I really I like um, the the McCoy and Spock scenes. I thought they were thought they were pretty good mm-hmm. um so there's things in this episode that are that you can like and it's it's interesting to think about what would what would have happened if the roman empire didn't fall you know so it's, a, it's an interesting question but i i think yeah i agree with you guys both that it it's hurt by the fact that it's pretty darn near close to at least two other episodes yeah at least they uh, th- there are a couple of interesting things they do this whole TV bit, like I can, I can see how it's kind of interesting if, if the game, you know, like the old gladiatorial games, um, were done today. Of course, this is how they would be done. You wouldn't have the big audience. You'd have fake uh, audience sounds and a backdrop mm-hmm. and TV cameras. Yeah, there's something kind of interesting in that. They had the same problem apparently that. Star Trek has it's kind of a meta thing, where their stunt people didn't really look like the people in the show. Uh, I think this episode has possibly the most egregious "Who's that guy?" Mm-hmm. of the entire series. <laughs> was that McCoy? Whoever was playing McCoy? It, it the person looks nothing like them. It's not. They're not even in the same position. It. It. it I. I literally had to. It took me for a second. I was like. I said, who's that guy? And I wasn't making a joke. <laughs> like, oh, wait, what did 
it. You know, like I missed something. And then, I'm, oh, right. You feel bad for McCoy because he doesn't get to fight much. He got to knock a guy out and he got to fight. That prison scene, he knocks somebody, he, he takes somebody on. Yeah. yeah. Have we ever seen that like uh, that before? That's very rare. I don't recall that. Yeah, I don't. That was amazing. McCoy has some cool stuff in this one. Yeah, Spock, they never have just Spock just like do a double neck pinch on a couple people or whatever. It's always got to be, you know, everyone's got to take their person and fight them, whatever. He like, knocks yeah. one out, and then meanwhile we see the, usually it's Kirk, of course, going on and on and on. It's like, okay. There are some interesting conversations about the Prime Directive in here. Again, maybe not something unique. I, I, we've had these conversations before, but it's, I'm not sure that we've seen the local species acting almost as a villain and using the prime directive to their own advantage this right, way. Right. You know, he, he's very clearly um, not the, not the bad, not, not Merrick, the other guy, mm-hmm. uh, the Roman guy, Claudius, yeah. Claudius, right. He's very clearly entirely aware of what the prime directive means and he's taking advantage of it for his own ends. I'm not sure we've really seen that before. Uh, I mean, I guess that's 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 kind of interesting. That that got my attention a little bit. I'm wondering what you guys think of the end. It 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 wraps up rather quickly. It um it's kind of sudden that the way Flavius no, not Flavius. No, Merrick, right. The way Merrick helps Kirk Spock McCoy escape did you have a sense that that Merrick was still had good in him and he was going to make this change? No, it seemed kind of out of nowhere. It seemed it didn't seem like they just like had to finish it up and then he just did that. It's like, "Oh, good for him." But you yeah, you don't even understand his motivation after everything else. So, yeah. Yeah, it just makes for a clean ending because then they don't have to bring him back or leave him down there. So. So the story does feel wrapped though. I guess once once everybody from the original ship that had were marooned on this planet once every one of those people was dead i guess there isn't much to wrap up from a prime directive point of view you know it's uh, what's funny about it is it might have been a much more interesting episode if they did explore you know the the whole spirituality thing god and the one the sun if they kind of went down that road instead of you know the roman gladiators and prime directive you know things that we've seen already yeah I don't know how that would have turned out, but I mean, it would have been a, a different episode than mm-hmm. what we saw. Mm-hmm. I want to talk longer about this one because I'm not going to have much to say. About <laughs> 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 All men are brothers. Uh, there's there's some interesting, fun, different kind of like uh, camera work. There's a lot of like outdoors. The first, I don't know, third of the episode is maybe not quite that much. A uh, quarter of the episode is outdoors and there's some interesting camera stuff a lot of handheld stuff uh camera like pointing up you know like a really low one looking up actors nostrils and things mm-hmm. um that's that was interesting and, and unique i noticed uh shatner had some kind of rash on his neck somewhere early on in the episode the wonders of high definition yeah yeah you think people saw that in the 1960s heck no no <laughs> Come on, though. Even like a 15-inch black and white TV playing in standard def, you would have been like, "Where did McCoy go? Who's this guy fighting?" <laughs> Surely. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it makes me want to do that. It makes me want to like recreate that and try to see, like, okay, would I really just not notice? I did notice that there was some 
there were some shots in this that weren't remastered, even on the Blu-ray. They looked kind of like I actually thought there was something on my TV. There was a hole in one of the uniforms. I thought it was a bug on my TV. So I noticed there was like, a, it seemed like they didn't do a very good job remastering this episode. I mean, obviously, you know, the beginning effects with the planet and the Enterprise look good, but I noticed like sometimes they would cut to a shot and it would be kind of grainier than the other shot. So it didn't seem like they... I noticed that periodically, and I noticed this more so in the next episode. They must Their best elements must just not be so hot in some cases. Some scenes seem that way. Yeah. Some of those stock shots, who knows where they came from. Yeah. Of course, they had the, um, you have to have the, uh, not really a seduction in this episode, but Kirk has to get a woman. You know, it's pretty <laughs> mm-hmm. clear. Yeah. It's kind of like his last meal before he dies. Right, right. That was kind of weird, too. It was like, I wanted to treat you like a man. <laughs> and now the others I mean if, if the others are getting that kind of treatment we don't see it it did feel a little bit like because cause Claudius in an earlier scene he says something like talking about Kirk bring him to my quarters you know <laughs> I did think he wanted to treat him like a man right right uh, but I, you know I guess it meant something different yes. than I took it as <laughs> I just did. Did Kirk sleep with her? I assume so. Yeah. They they did they did plays. they did kind of the you know fade to the next scene yeah, fade out on the yeah, candle Star thing. Trek yeah. I I know I'm probably reaching it, but that you know Kirk sleeping with the slave because she got assigned to him that seems low and sexist even for James Kirk. Yeah. Right. You think that also be kind of like a subsection of the Prime Directive too. <laughs> <laughs> One night slaves <laughs> may not be, or maybe there's, you know, like we have uh, corporate jobs, you know, and there's a limit to how much, like there's a dollar amount limit for what a gift a client can give yeah, you. Yeah, 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 true. I think, I think in the military or the equivalent there, there'd be some kind of thing like that too. <laughs> yeah, at least like you have to report it. Maybe Kirk has, ugh, never mind. <laughs> he, said he filed the paperwork later or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the Trek Companion podcast does not condone slavery. Clear <laughs> about this. What is this episode about? Um, I think they try and talk about slavery and how it's wrong and how violence doesn't solve anything, and then it kind of at the end it tails into like the one God. So it kind of goes a little bit all over the place on what it's trying to say or what it's being about. You, know, you can also throw in it's another Prime Directive episode, so I mean, I don't think there's like a true focus on what they're trying to say in this episode. Yeah, I mean, probably the the most prominent theme is the is kind of the uh, it's better to be free and fight against the establishment or something, but it's it's just not that's just not uh, fortified well enough to make it seem like the theme of the episode. And there's too many other little things that are distract from that. I would I would call this as like an average episode. I watched it and it wasn't going, oh my god, because like, you know, we'll talk about the next episode where I'm just like, what is going on here? And, and so this episode, it felt like a Star Trek episode, so I don't mean to bag on it so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I would definitely watch this episode again. It just was just kind I of... I think the actor person. that played Claudius was pretty good. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, he was very I, um, Yeah, he was pretty solid. The uh, Merrick, maybe not as much. No, he was kind of a weird uh, character. He little, yeah, he was a little dry, but... The guy that played Claudius, I, I, he was—he seemed like he was kind of chewing his scenes up a little bit. I—that was that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably uh, enough to keep me coming back. All right.
Let's do six degrees for bread and circuses. Adam? Yes. Ian Wolfe plays Septimus, the leader of the escaped prisoners. In the original series, third season, he plays the librarian in the episode All Our Yesterdays. Name his character. <laughs> I have no idea. It's a library joke. His name is a library joke. Oh, it's a library joke? Um, I don't know. Steve? Oh, I think I do remember this. Um, hold on. Uh, oh, Atos? Like yes. A to Z? Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Mr. Atos. Mr. A to Z. Steve? Bart LaRue plays the Roman announcer. He played an announcer recently on Patterns of Force. Name this Nazi-like people. That's a tough one, I felt like. Oh, the like the uh, name of the aliens who were yes being the Nazis in that episode. Um, Is this hard enough that I should give you a hint? I'll give you the first letter. Maybe. E? First letter is E. I'm probably going to mix it up with some other thing, but I can come up with something here. Ecosians? You are correct. Ecosians. Steve has two. Moving on. Assignment Earth, Season 2, Episode 26, Production Code 055, Original Air Date, March 29, 1968, Directed by Mark Daniels, Story by Art Wallace and Gene Roddenberry, Teleplay by Art Wallace, Music Composed by Alexander Courage, Guest Cast Include Robert Lansing as Gary Seven, Terry Garr as Roberta Lincoln, Don Kiefer as Mission Control Director Cromwell, Morgan Jones as Colonel Jack Nesbig, Lincoln Demian as Sergeant Lipton, Paul Baxley as Security Chief, Ted Gehring as Policeman, Bruce Mars as Policeman, and Victoria Vetri as Isis. The Enterprise, which has traveled to 1968 Earth for historical research, intercepts a highly powerful transporter beam from 1,000 light years away. A man dressed in 20th century Earth business suit materializes, carrying a black cat named Isis. Introduces himself to Captain Kirk as Gary Seven. Seven refuses to reveal his home planet and warns Kirk that history will be changed and Earth destroyed if he is not released immediately. Kirk demands proof, but Seven refuses. Kirk has Seven taken to the brig and asks Spock to search the history database for any critical events that will soon occur. Spock finds that, un- that the United States will launch a nuclear weapons platform from McKinley Rocket Base. My name is Gary Seven. I am a human being from the 20th century. I was on my way. Humans of the 20th century do not go beaming around the galaxy, Mr. Seven. I've been living on another planet far more advanced. I was beaming to Earth when you intercepted me. The location of that planet? I wish their existence kept secret. Oy vey, assignment Earth. Okay, Uh, so for people that don't know, near the end of Star Trek's second season, you know, it seemed like they were going to get canceled. And Gene Roddenberry had this pilot. This thing, Assignment Earth pilot, was written already without any Star Trek stuff. Okay? And so they were afraid Star Trek's going to get canceled, and, and Roddenberry wanted to have an, a job lined up for the fall. So he, you know, jury rigs the Star Trek universe into this pre existing Assignment Earth pilot. And, of course, Star Trek does get renewed, and the Assignment Earth does not get picked up to be a show. So, I think uh, we're not going to have the greatest things to say about this episode. Because, you know, to to me, it feels like exactly what it is. Uh, Not a Star Trek episode that got 
you know, roped into it. But I do recognize, before I go off on how much I don't like this episode, I want to say that I do recognize, much to my surprise, but I recognize that there are people that really do like this episode. There are a lot of people that this inspired them. Uh, I've seen, I've read comics that were sequels to this. Uh, I know there have been plenty of novels and things. Um, I think that uh, Robert Lansing actually plays a pretty cool Gary Seven, but Robert Lansing plays everything cool. So, you know, that doesn't save this from being uh, what it is, which is, to me, not a Star Trek episode. And I don't think I've ever written in my notes, even on episodes that I disliked a lot more than this one or, or whatever, I don't think I've ever wrote this as, as so many times. I wrote blah, blah, blah. You know, like I wrote whatever's happening and then I wrote, but I don't care. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Gary Seven follows the flight path and I don't care. Kirk decides to try, blah, 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 but I still don't care. Gary has a conversation with his computer and I don't care. I just, it's, it's so funny, but that's how I felt watching most of this episode. I don't care. Adam, what are some of your first thoughts here? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it doesn't feel like a, even though it's a Star Trek episode, it doesn't feel like one. I mean, just right from the get-go, you know, we've traveled back in time to do research, which is... What? What what is that? I mean, actually, I had to actually go back and watch the beginning again, because somewhere in the middle of the episode, I'm like, why are they... I was asking myself the question, like, why are they back in 1968? I couldn't remember. And then I'm like, oh, they're just there just for the hell of it, just to do research, which which is not, you know, if you're a Star Trek fan, they don't just go back in time willy-nilly to do research. It's, it's you know, time travel is a freak accident or, you know, to save somebody that's just not kind of like a casual it's a, event. It's a big deal. It's not like a casual mission. Hey, we're going to go. And besides the fact, why, if they're going back in time to do research, why are they, when, shouldn't they be going back to like an historical event? Here, apparently not. And I didn't, I really understand the, the missile platforms and you know so there's there's a lot of kind of convoluted stuff to try and make this episode work that don't that they're little things that don't even feel like star trek what's the actual answer to that why is why is this nonchal- so nonchalant that we're oh yes we're you know captain's log we're in 1968 and just observing <laughs> yeah. uh, why what's the answer why <laughs> It's because this thing got roped in to be a Star Trek episode, and it's right. not. It was an existing strip that gets roped in. That's the real answer, and that's what it feels like to me. So, I mean, I definitely agree, you know, and, you know, once we get in, you know, this episode isn't anything about any of our main characters. You know, they're kind of more like just kind of along for the ride. This episode is about um, Gary Seven. He's the main character of this episode. Um, so it's not even really has nothing to do with any of our, our prime characters. Steve? Yeah, yeah, I don't care about this either. It's kind of just the same crap we've been, always been saying. But what, uh, um, you know, we'll say though, what is consistent, of course, is that some of these uh, themes that we occasionally see in Trek episodes do creep in. Obviously, there's the fear with the Cold War. You've got the, you know, nuclear war could happen at any time, and you know, we're all on the verge of that. That kind of feel, the kind of um, the relationship with computers that we see in Star Trek. You know, we see that kind of you know it's they have personalities and you argue with them and it's not really a tool as so much as a you know consulting you know this kind of odd thing so it's it's of its time you know it definitely feels like the same you know it's a Gene Roddenberry product the same bunch are doing this but yeah it's it's just 
other characters and you know it's it, we've we've said all these things already so it's just kind of i mean i don't know it, it's hard to it's hard to grade it as if if you imagine it not being star trek i mean i don't know i guess if i try to imagine i guess the star trek elements out of it and just being kind of this thing that just stands off stands alone and you just watch it i could see how it's not not bad for you know a product of its time or an average kind of thing or whatever the premise i suppose but um but it's not it's it's an episode of star trek and so you you can't judge it off something that it's not so i don't know what else to say about it i mean you know we could cover all these things could this be considered the only crossover episode in trek is there any other i mean except for maybe the first episode of deep space nine well, if this actually became a series, I guess you could say. I mean, it's kind of yeah, it's it's unique certainly. I mean, there's you have other treks crossover with other treks, you know, but that's really the only thing. It's all inclusive otherwise. See, but. if if this was the other series and had some had had Star Trek guests, I'd be okay with that. Right. I mean, I wouldn't right, like it or right. something, but that's what it feels like. It doesn't feel like a Star Trek episode crossing over with the Simon Earth. It feels like an Simon Earth episode <laughs> right. that has Star Trek guests. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And that's its problem. Uh, if it was yeah. the other way around, maybe not. But and I don't think it would have taken like um, master writing to change that. You know what I'm saying? You could you could change the emphasis, and you know, it would be odd. You'd have to f- find new excuses and new reasons to do it. But you could put elements and introduce you know, very briefly these main characters and what they're doing and and it not be so weighted towards you know the Gary 7 and all that crew versus the Star Trek bunch you know I don't I don't understand you know it's always notable to see you know Terry Terry Gar although I don't know young people maybe don't even know who Terry Gar is but <laughs> right you know, for us in the 70s and 80s uh Terry Gar was a big star um, but I guess maybe not anymore. Yeah, I, I, I guess I just I just think this episode is kind of lame, and I, I would rather... There are episodes I dislike more than this that I would much sooner watch again. I remember kind of thinking the last time I watched this episode, even, like I said, even though there are definitely episodes that I, that I dislike more, uh, this is one of the few episodes, if not the only episode I remember watching and thinking, I don't ever want to watch this episode again, ever. And then, of course, we did this podcast, so I have to do it. <laughs> you know, and I really, I really do think this is the last time I'm ever going to watch this day and episode, truly. And I was kind of disappointed, you know. They're using all that, um, you know, the Apollo footage of, you know, that's the, that's an actual Apollo rocket, you know, it's a moon rocket, and you know, it, it turns out to be a nuclear missile, which is kind of disappointing. I'm like, I kind of would have preferred them do something a little bit more on the actual space race instead of talking about um, nuclear proliferation. I kind of see where they're going with that. Nuclear proliferation is bad and we should fear it. But, you know, if you're going to use all these, uh, you know, Apollo rocket, you know, stock footage, you know, make it about what that rocket was built for, not for mass destruction, but to get people to the moon. It is an historical irony that Dr. Cockburn would select an instrument of mass destruction to inaugurate an era of global peace. (laughs) What is this episode about? Nothing. <laughs> that that mass destruction is bad, and it should be avoided. Brian, what do you have for what this episode is about? Uh, Jack and I can't read my notes here. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, and you don't care. <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't care. 
All right, but at least, you know what? It's not Star Trek, so you know what that means? Let's do six degrees for uh, assignment Earth, and because it's not Star Trek, my questions will not be Star Trek. <laughs> 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 Uh, Adam? Yeah. Robert Lansing plays Gary Seven. He was a guest star in Brian's favorite 80s show that wasn't Star Trek, featuring two brother detectives. Name it. Oh, Simon and Simon? That's right. He was a recurring character, probably the most uh, significant character on the entire show uh, that wasn't either the Simon brothers or their mother. Uh, Steve? Mm -hmm. Lansing's character on Simon and Simon was a legendary gumshoe that Rick Simon was particularly fond of. Name the character. Uh, uh, oh. <laughs> I, I knew as I was writing this that there was no chance. <laughs> but you know what? You should be mad at Gene Roddenberry for making this episode of Star Trek that is not Star Trek, enabling me to ask you a non-Star Trek question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Adam, do you know? I have no idea. Sam Penny. Hmm, cool. That sounds like a 40s detective, doesn't it? Sam yes. Penny. And you can see Robert Lansing playing him with the beige trench coat and everything. Mm -hmm. Which is exactly what he did. Alright, so we have completed the original series' second season. Pretty, you know, a pretty, pretty solid season when you kind of look back at the list. Opening with a muck time, that, that alone <laughs> would have set you up. Doomsday Machine was every bit as great as I remembered. A lot of, I mean, this is the season with Trouble with Tribbles, Piece of the Action, um, a lot of solid, really solid episodes in this in this season. Some, maybe, maybe compared to the first season, a few more uh, that weren't so legendary, but um, still, it, pretty amazing, and I don't know. I guess if I had to pick, and I don't know, that's tough. Doomsday Machine, probably, but look, time's up there. You guys have any just general thoughts about season two? Yeah, it's a it's a really solid. I'd say I'd agree with you. It's it's probably the the best season of the three. I mean, I guess we'll find out after. I guess I shouldn't say that until after we do season three. But um, I think you're pretty safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, just solid episodes. I mean, you know, there's some duds in there. Obviously, we we had you know assignment earth um, there's a couple others that you know they kind of got repetitive you know obviously br um bread and circuses is similar to a couple of the other ones just in this season so and, you know but yeah definitely um enjoyed a lot of you know mug time mirror mirror yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of good stuff in this this season yeah, I'd agree with all that. I mean, you know, it's it, it, maybe the second season has like really great standouts and some really bad standouts more so than the first season in that way. But you know, it's a continuation of what the first season is, and you know, it's yeah, the third season. I mean, most people regard what we're getting ready to watch as it's you know, few and far between the great, the very good episodes in the third season. But um, for the first two seasons, it's kind of an amazing you know, launch for a series as we already talked about in the first season, how just right off the bat, you know, all these characters, you just, they just feel like they're just immediately, uh, we've known them forever, you know, and, uh, they, it, it's just fantastic. And I think the second season is a overall, a, a good continuation of the first in that regard. So Brian, you said that, um, they weren't sure when did they get picked up? They get picked up sometime in the summer. Cause they, he wasn't sure by the time assignment earth was out or no, they weren't sure by the time 
Assignment Earth was in production, but they knew they knew before it aired that they'd been picked up. Gotcha. Well, because famously there was that that bit about you know them actually having a message uh, at the end credit, credits telling people we've renewed it, stop writing. <laughs> what, there's all, what Lucille Ball was involved in it, or was she earlier, or was it this this time? Well, Desilu was the. I mean, she greenlit, greenlit the whole show to begin with, but okay. it was NBC that had to decide if they were going to pick it up each season. Uh, but speaking of uh, launching a show, did you guys watch the Discovery trailer? Was that last week, I think it came out? Yeah, I think before? it was a couple of days after we did our last cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? Looks pretty cool. Definitely kind of has a modern look. Obviously pretty JJ-influenced. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I you know I'm excited about it certainly. I I don't think I wasn't overall. The, I, you know, the trailer, the trailer is okay. You know what I'm saying? I I think it was kind of like um, it didn't. I I get I get that it can't really you know spoil too much of what they're doing with this, but it in some ways it was generic or something. I think. Yeah. But um, so you're kind of like okay, great, um, move on. You know, I'll wait to hear more news about this, but because it didn't really. You know, the look is not particularly surprising. It's nothing particularly innovative, nor does it hint at anything that really appeals to the fan either. So it's like, okay, more new track, great, but the trailer didn't do a whole lot for me. I think that's probably how I felt, yeah. I'm hoping that everything in that is just from the pilot. Right. There there wasn't anything that, that got me super excited other than just the general fact that it's, you know, Star Trek. They haven't given a release date yet, have they? Uh, no, but they're pretty confident it's going to be fall, especially since the writer's strike was avoided. I think I did expect it to feel a little bit more, I don't know, different than it did. Mm-hmm. But if you didn't know that, if you had watched all the other Star Treks and said, and here's what the one that's right after Enterprise looks like, you'd probably be like, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> when you think about it, it's 10 years later, and for the first time, none of the same people are involved with its production, really. Mm-hmm. I guess sort of Brian Fuller, but you know he was he wasn't he wasn't in that sort of position before. He wasn't the creator, etc. And he's not even on the show anymore now. That's surprising. But you know, I'm excited because it's Star Trek, and there wasn't. It's not like there's something in there that made you think, "Ugh." Yeah. You know. All right. Well, thank you for spending uh, an hour with us, and uh, we look forward to starting season three in two weeks. I know there's a lot of duds, but I definitely remember a couple of good ones. Isn't maybe Enterprise Incident? Is that early on? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Some of the some of the um, more laugh out loud moments are in season three. <laughs> Box brain, definitely. Yeah. Kick right off with that, right? <laughs> oh right, yeah. Inspector of the Gun, I remember that season three. The Empath is season three. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh-huh. Tholian Web, Tholian Web, season three, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. All right, so you know, oh, all right. Uh, So anyway, we look forward to season three in a couple of weeks, and thank you again. And until then, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya.
Stefan and Pastor.